Welcome to the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast, where we are exploring the crossroads of two hot topics, digitalization and diversity. My name is Adya and I am your host. Welcome back to the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast. Today we are recording episode 10 and the finale for season one of the DD Podcast. I have been looking forward past months to welcome today's guest, Shweta Agarwal. Shweta is an anti-colorism activist with a colorful life. Born in India, raised in Japan, and now living in the UK, Shweta has been blessed to experience a variety of careers, starting with a career in IT, to running a Bollywood dance company for more than a decade, to now writing a memoir on colorism in India. Shweta is passionate about instigating change in the narrative. Fair is beautiful. Welcome, Shweta, to the DD Podcast. Tell us a bit more about yourself, whatever you're happy to share. Hi, Adia. First of all, thank you so, so much for having me on your amazing podcast. I really appreciate the time that you're taking out to record this today and for me to be able to share my message with your listeners a bit more about myself. What can I say? I guess you've covered it all. So I'll just maybe share a little bit more kind of personal information. I am 44 years old. I am married and have a lovely family, lovely husband, two kids, teenagers, lots of teenage tantrums going on at the moment in the house, but generally they're very good. (laughs) I've got two cats who bring with them their own little uh, cat tantrums. (laughs) I also work in the events industry. So that's something that I do on the side because I'm passionate about events and entertainment. And that comes from my dancing background, I guess. Um, So I do that as a freelancer and I'm at the same time writing my memoir. And I still love to dance. So dance is like my happy place. So I do that every now and then as well and share little dance videos on my Instagram page. But yeah, that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for sharing the personal stuff as well about you. <laughs> so, so you are a colorism activist. I would like to kick off the episode by getting your take on what is colorism? Is this like a term which exists today or is this something which is being redefined? So the term, which I actually wasn't aware of, I believe was coined by another author called Alice Walker in 1982. And she defined colorism as prejudice or bias that exists within a certain community against people who are darker skinned versus people who are lighter skinned. And so the key difference between racism and colorism is that whilst one can experience racism and discrimination or any form of bias from a different race, when it comes to colorism, it's within your own race, it's within your own community. Mm-hmm. And colorism, I guess one can say that is, you know, is prevalent and rife in communities like the South Asian community, African community, East Asian community. Mm-hmm. What I have seen and what I have learned over the years is that essentially colorism exists in pretty much the entire non-white world. Because I, you don't, you know, at least I certainly haven't heard, and I'm sure other people will agree, we don't hear white people talking about their color and who's lighter, who's darker, right? You hear about that only from the kind of Middle Eastern countries onwards going east. 
So it is a big problem, a huge problem. I mean, we're talking about not millions, but billions, because it's essentially half the world that, that experiences colorism pretty much on a daily basis because the narrative fair is beautiful. It's just, you know, it's everywhere. It's, it's a really widespread belief. And from your perspective, how, how big is this issue? Is this rather seen in certain countries? Or you mentioned that you feel that it's rather global. Yeah, absolutely. If we're talking billions, right, we're talking about half the population of this world, essentially, yeah. um, who experiences colorism and who aspires to be fairer. Yeah. Half the population succumbs to buying skin whitening products. And that defines it all, doesn't it? It kind of um, underpins the whole colorism thing. So it's a huge problem because the industry, the skin whitening industry is, is growing rapidly as well. Mm-hmm. So for example, 2020, the global sales of all skin whitening products was about $8.6 billion. By 2027, I believe, mm-hmm. it is estimated to go to grow to about $12 billion. Wow. So that says it all, right? It says it all. People are, people have accepted the narrative, fair is beautiful. And it's like they've given up and they've just kind of, they're going along with it. And they kind of feel like this is what the world is telling us. So, and this is what the industry is telling us. And this is what the world is doing. So fine, uh, you know, I'll do it too. And actually, that's exactly what my story is about. That's exactly what I did. I gave up and I felt like it's around you everywhere. Products are being sold to you everywhere. You're told constantly you're not beautiful enough because you're too dark. And it's relentless in the Eastern half of the world. It's, it literally is relentless. So you come to a point where you just give up and you think, well, okay, you know what? It's everywhere. And the whole world is, the whole world that's in my side of the world is doing it. So I'll do it too. So at what time did you have this realization? Because I know that you've lived across quite a few countries and you grew up in Japan. And did you also encounter similar experiences with colorism in Japan? So growing up in Japan was a really, really unique experience back in the 1990s or even kind of late 80s. You know, back then it was a pretty xenophobic society, right? And country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fact that you have to have an alien registration card, as they call it in Japan, the word alien as a foreigner. Yeah. That grates on you. You know, you feel, you feel excluded, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it has been the most amazing experience of my life. And I absolutely love Japan. And oftentimes I actually still think about it as home and I call it home. But at the same time, there were certain elements of it that just made you feel like you stand out. And I'm sure that everybody would feel that way, not just in Japan, but if you are yeah. of a certain race and you move to a different country, you know, I'm sure I can say this on behalf of anybody who moves uh, to a different country. That's how you feel, right? You, you yeah. look different. You talk different. Your color is different. So there is a certain people staring at you, right? And that's just natural, I guess. People do that. Yeah. Whereas in Japan, you know, I felt it, I guess, a little bit more than kind of what I would be comfortable with because Mm -hmm. back then there weren't that many foreigners in Japan. Yeah. That's what made a difference. And so you would see eyes on you. You would feel the eyes on you. And especially because you're brown and, you know, your color is very different. And when it comes to colorism, it wasn't, the Japanese who made me feel a certain way, 
it was the Indian community themselves. And that's what exactly colorism means, right? It's about your own community. So Indians carry this notion with them everywhere they go. They don't leave it behind India, you know? This whole, you know, fair is beautiful and, and dark is looked down upon is something that is drilled into their mindset. Absolutely. um, Yeah. And they're obsessed, obsessed with it literally. So it is the Indian community and it was a pretty decent sized community in Japan. And people still, you know, compare color and talk about color. And it's quite sad, really. But yeah, when the Japanese, obviously, they're lovely, lovely people and Mm -hmm. really humble, really kind. But I guess at that time, back in the 1980s and 90s, if somebody's staring at you, they're staring at you, you know, you just know it, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to come back to the topic of colorism because I feel that there's just so much to talk about on this topic. Mm. But you mentioned a bit about alienation and, you know, being in a foreign country, everything is new and you're still trying to Mm. find your own authentic self while being in Mm. a foreign land. Mm. And I want to talk to you about your children's book series, Dave and Ollie, which Mm. showcases the uniqueness of Indian festivals and cultures which I absolutely love the context. And I think that Mm -hmm. celebrations that are uniquely part of your culture can bring so much joy. And living in Germany, the extent to which I have been able to fully celebrate Indian festivals has Mm -hmm. been drastically reduced. So I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed coming across your book series. Thank you. What was your inspiration for this? Really, really simple. My children, to be honest. So, you know, it happened very naturally from moving on from kind of my dance company to writing these children's books because my dance company basically required me to work very anti-social working hours. Essentially, when, you know, everybody was done with their work is when my work would start because my dance team performed at corporate events, at weddings on weekends, TV shows, etc. And so... I kind of like came to a point where when my kids started attending school, if I, you know, I didn't see them during the day. Right. And then in the evening, I'd be busy with all sorts of email inquiries and phone calls and and dance related stuff and and rehearsals and rehearsals on the weekend. It came to a point where I didn't see them during the day. And then I didn't see them much in the evening either or on the weekends because I was really busy with dance rehearsals. And I just couldn't sustain that. It wasn't feasible to carry on like that. And I felt like I want to be there for them in their kind of growing up phase and not miss out on it. And at the same time, what happened was when they started attending school, they started bringing home all sorts of books and their interest was more towards books with white characters or even animals, but rarely saw books with brown Asian characters and, you know, representation. Yeah, And it's about representation really, to be honest. So I then felt like because it was such a lack of representation that I wanted to create this character Dev, but give him like this modern look. So actually he can be dead, but he can, you know, any child can relate to him. Mm-hmm. And then also talk about the kind of richness of our festivals and the uniqueness of our festivals and how many we have in India yes. and how festivals are actually like a window to another world and to learning another culture And it's almost kind of like a quick synopsis, right, of another culture. You attend their festival and you know everything about them. You know about their food, their 
the music they like, the clothes they wear, you know, the kind of dance they perform, what they're celebrating the festival for, whether it's a religious festival or just a cultural thing, how the community comes together, how they behave together, everything mm-hmm. you can learn about a culture through attending a festival. Yeah. And so that's what I felt like, actually, I can combine the two, have a character that represents brown children and also write these books in a really modern, fun, engaging way, taking the religious elements out as such and just focusing on the cultural elements of the festival so that children from other backgrounds can learn about our festivals. And therefore, when you learn about other festivals, you grow more empathetic, right, towards other cultures. And um, it's about, you know, that journey to raising children to become global citizens. You know, I really like how you, the way you represent and communicate your personal experiences and transform them into messages, which, you know, not just for education, but also to make a difference. And on the DD podcast channel, I talk a lot about microaggressions. So Mm. what are microaggressions? Why certain statements can be perceived as microaggressions? What is inclusive language? What are things, you know, which are appropriate things to say versus what Mm. might offend somebody? And often Mm. people face microaggressions which don't come up as explicit acts of discrimination because Mm. there's still an underdeveloped vocabulary to explain what microaggressions are and what they sound and what they feel like. What kind of microaggressions did you face in your journey? And Mm. how have you kind of learned to deal with those microaggressions today? Personally, I feel that, um, (laughs) I'm just going to be really honest here, right? (laughs) Personally, I feel that within the South Asian community, (laughs) there's not so much microaggression, there's just aggression. (laughs) And what I mean mean by that is they're very blunt. They'll just say it to you on on your face how it is, right? And how they feel. That is true. That is very true. (laughs) There is no underlying microaggression tone. So if they tell you, you know, like, oh, you're too dark, (laughs) they'll just tell you that on your face. Yeah. it's quite... It's really quite sad. So, you know, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? Like, yeah. they'll actually tell you, like, oh, you know, Kali hai to Kali bolenge na. As in, like, if, you know, you are black, so we'll call you black, right? And yeah. <laughs> you know, they say, oh, it's such ease. It actually, and I'm laughing about it now, but obviously it used to upset me and hurt me back then. They don't even think that there's anything wrong in saying something like that. Or they say phrases like, there's a very common phrase in Hindi, uh, Kali, Kaluti, Beng, and Luti, which means you're so dark, you've stolen the color of an aubergine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And <laughs> there's no microaggression in there. It's just point blank, right? But I guess the two biggest microaggressions, I suppose, that I have faced as I started to grow up, your color may change slightly or because you don't play out in the sun as much as you were when you were you know, very little. And so you, quote unquote, become fairer or lighter. Or because, you know, you're growing and your facial features change. So gradually, I started to hear, oh, you're pretty for a dark girl. Mm -hmm. Now that is a microaggression. Because on one hand, you're calling me pretty. On the other hand, you're telling me I'm pretty for a dark girl. Yeah. And that microaggression is something that I'm sure millions will relate to. Because Mm -hmm. it's very, very, very common. And people will say things like, oh, you know, your facial features are really nice if only you were fairer. Things like that, right? Yeah. Um, so 
on one hand, it's a compliment. On the other hand, it's like a slap, right? So those two, I think microaggressions are definitely something that you hear repeatedly uh, within yeah. the community. Other than that, I have to say, it's just a little There's so many layers to colorism. It's just shocking, really, because the obsession is so deep-rooted. There's microaggressions, then there's just point-black aggressions, there's taunts. And it's exhausting. It really is exhausting when it happens on a regular basis. Did you change the way you react these days to such microaggressions? Because, you know, as you said, that these are deep-rooted. And Mm. basically, when a woman, I would say, who realizes this, that, you know, that these comments are not the normal, that there is something which is wrong with these kind of comments. And these are really not acceptable in today's society. You do feel like, you know, you want to make a change, but how do you respond? Now, if somebody comes with one of these microaggressions, have you, have you found a way to react to these kind of comments? hundred percent. And now that I've had my awakening, because what happens, right, is that when you've been through this, you know, in terms of like taunts and prejudice for decades, and when you succumb, and that's what my whole story is about, after a while, because you succumb, these microaggressions or taunts just fall on deaf ears. You mm-hmm. become immune to them. Sometimes you don't even pick up on them yeah, because you're like, oh, that's just how they behave. That's just what they say, or that's just who I am. Because you start believing that, you're not beautiful or you're dark or, you know, yes, well, I am dark. So they have the right to say it. You know, you start actually believing that, which is what's really, really sad. And you lose the will to fight because it's not just one person. How many are you going to shut up? Right. So I think it's really, really important to call it out then and there, because sometimes I guess because it's so deep rooted, I have to give it to people, right? That sometimes it's so deep rooted that even educated people don't even think about it and they say such things. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe they don't mean it. And I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because I have done it. Not spoken those words, but I have thought that. Mm-hmm. Once I, from the time that I was on the receiving end of color prejudice, yeah. unfortunately, what starts happening as a young child is then you start looking at other people's color. The yeah. first thing you start noticing about them is their color. Mm-hmm. Oh, this one's gory. This one's not so gory. This one's, you know, it's quite sad. Really, really sad. That's not what should be the first thing that you see in a person. But if you're taught that from the age of six, you can't help it, right? Yeah. And, you know, I always say that a person's circle of influence is mm-hmm. always bigger than what they think it is. So even if you can try to change one mindset or one thought, Mm -hmm. even if you feel like, you know, you're feeling at it, which I can understand. It always feels like this because how can you change a billion thoughts at a time? But the change needs to start somewhere. And just by sharing and hearing your personal experiences, I think you're really on the right track. And I think there are a lot of people which can learn about it just by being aware because being aware is really the first step That's exactly it. You've hit the nail on the head. I have had so many people DM me and say exactly this to me that thank you for sharing so openly because I wasn't even aware that I was implicitly biased uh, towards somebody else. I, I have had friends who've actually confessed that they used to tell their daughters not to spend too much time in the sun because they will turn dark. And they said, 
I never ever thought how it was how it would be received on your end of in terms of like saying that in front of brown people, you know? So and, yeah, absolutely. And the skin tone bias, I mean, even though it's a bias which you can kind of see, but it does yeah. trigger a lot of other biases which are rather unconscious and other unconscious mm-hmm. biases which can be triggered. I had somebody who shared this with me on um, Instagram through her DM and, you know, had a really good chat with her. Mm -hmm. She mentioned to me that actually it is a real problem now in India because she said, I have noticed recently that air hostesses, for example, Mm -hmm. are a certain color. She said hotel receptionists Mm -hmm. and any client facing role, you're expected to be a certain color. You usually see them on the lighter side, not the darker side. So this is what we are preaching, right? If that's the kind of people you're hiring in certain industries, yeah. you are essentially preaching fair is beautiful and fair is successful. And yeah, that it's not just about, oh, well, you're, you know, you're dark, so you're not beautiful enough anymore. You're just inadequate, apparently, in every sense. And that sort of impact, the detrimental impact, rather, that it has on one's mental health and the fact that that's being trivialized is, is what is really upsetting. I want to circle a bit back on your point regarding how the cosmetics industry does have a role to play in it, even though there is a demand-driven aspect to it from from people wanting to look a certain color and then going for products. Because I have been very fond of makeup and I remember when I moved to Europe years ago, I struggled with finding the right shade of foundation because there were just so few options. And the term skin color or, you know, the nude shade, it has been coined within the fashion industry to define, for example, what nude makeup looks like, what are nude stockings, what even nude lingerie looks like. And this is being challenged by brands such as Johnson and Johnson's producing band-aids in different colors. Yes. Yeah. And then there is Rihanna's Fenty Beauty line. There's Kim Kardashian coming out with her Skims brand, really trying to to show that, you know, the nude shade is not just a certain kind of shade, but Mm -hmm. it really does represent a variety of colors. What is your impression of diversity in the cosmetics industry or... In the bigger sense, the whole consumer goods industry, when it comes to producing diverse products. I would like to start with like a positive message because I am really, really glad such brands are out there now championing diversity and you know that understand the need for a variety of nude colors, not just one specific color, right? So, you know, obviously back in my days, nude color, especially when it came to crayons and, and coloring pencils was just this one color, peach which was called skin color. Yes. (laughs) Even if you weren't that color, if teachers asked you color yourself in, you would have to color yourself in with that one color, peach, essentially. And you could be brown or you could be black, right? So now there are definitely a lot more shades. I find it easier myself now to get makeup that matches my skin tone. I had a wonderful experience actually with MAC recently. Mm -hmm. And it was such a perfect match that I, it took me about 30 seconds to, to shop. I didn't have to sit there and try and find a matching foundation or like buy two foundations sometimes, which you have to do, blend them together to then be able to apply makeup, which we, they, you know, we have to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. And 
which brings me on to the point that if we have to do that, that is expensive. It's yeah. not affordable for, all, for most people, right? Yeah. So yes, whilst I'm really happy to see more nude colors in these brands and, you know, Johnson & Johnson with their Band-Aids and Rihanna's and, and Kim Kardashian's skims, I feel like there definitely is a variety, but not enough. Mm-hmm. Because the shades of browns, for example, that they have with their lingerie or their underwear, they don't match the skin tone of the brown slash black women as much. You know, certain shades of beige going to brown. But yeah. if you put them on, and I've seen pictures, right, of, of women, you put them on, but they're not actually the shade. So there's definitely a movement. I can see that. And it's great to see that. And actually, funny enough, I've been really enjoying seeing um, quite a few influencers posting about wearing brown. And it's something that really resonated with me because I never used to wear brown. I yeah. would run a million miles away from wearing brown. Um, yeah. But actually, it looks beautiful. Brown and brown looks amazing. Yeah. So I love all of that. That is changing now, the narrative that is changing. But I feel that the one problem that we still have is accessibility and affordability. Mm-hmm. So these brands are doing a great job, but how many can afford them? It yeah. needs to be more affordable, bigger much, much bigger brands and much, much bigger names like, I don't know, Walmart or Asda or whatever, they need to be stocking such things. They need to be having a variety of nude stockings and nude foundation and different shades so that it's affordable because we're talking about millions, billions of people, right? And not everybody can afford Kim Kardashian's skims or Rihanna's scent. So yeah, I, I do feel that accessibility and affordability are still sort of two elements that we need to look at when it comes to the, this industry. Yeah. And what do you think is stopping companies in the sector today? Because yes, accessibility and affordability are important requirements. But as you said, that unless the demand changes, there will mm-hmm. not be a very tremendous impact of the change that needs to come. Yeah, I can completely appreciate that from the industry and from the the entrepreneurs who are coming up with these products. It yeah. is a bit of a catch-22 for them because obviously demand has to meet supply, right? And yeah. supply has to meet demand, which I completely get in the Western world, right? Yeah. I get that. But I don't get it in the Eastern world. Mm-hmm. So as you know, the theme of the podcast is digitalization and diversity, and we connected digitally and we, uh, we connected and we decided to collaborate together on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I always ask my guests if there is a digital tool or a piece of technology that has had an impact on their life. And I would like to know what that would be for you. Yeah, absolutely, Adia. So first of all, like, you know, doing podcasts like this digitally is something that I've never done before. And I only started doing them recently and I absolutely love it. I love learning from people. I love talking to people, you know, sharing experiences. And yeah, stories is how how you learn, right? Stories is, is what people remember. What, hands down, I have to say, the kind of most, the favorite tool for me has been Instagram. Because... I really, really enjoy connecting with an audience, connecting with people, listening to their experiences, empathizing with them, sharing my own experiences. In fact, funny enough, 
in January, I'm going to be meeting two women who have never met before in my life. But because we connected on Instagram, I'm going to be meeting them for a coffee. That's amazing. Um, And I just love that sense of community that we have on Instagram and being able to to actively talk about colorism more so than any other platform because of the hashtags. Because through the hashtags, people that are interested and passionate about anti-colorism and other issues they find you through those hashtags, right? And yeah. vice versa, I do the same. So I learn from other influencers. I learn from other podcasts like yourselves. And I learn from lives, doing live sessions with people. Definitely, uh, I would say Instagram for me is my, my favorite tool at the moment. And it's helped me a lot share my voice and my message. Yeah, thankfully, a lot of people are resonating with it. So it kind of gives me that boost as well to keep going. And do you feel that digital media in some ways has fueled colorism and all the topics which are associated with it? Yes, I think it has. And no, it hasn't. It's a really difficult one because I feel that, you know, whilst we've got a lot of anti-colorism activists now working against color, fighting against colorism rather, We've got a lot of people on Instagram as well, and I follow them. They follow me, come together to talk about it. Somebody I know, Sean, who's, who's lovely, and she's a student in the States. She's actually hosted her first conference on colorism, which I was a part of, and 25 other speakers. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely amazing to be able to do all of that. And I think there's such platforms are definitely being used in the right manner and the right way to for us to be able to fight colorism, right? But on the other hand... You have other groups and other platforms and other pages on Instagram and profiles that highlight a certain type on their page in terms of what's beautiful, what's considered beautiful. So the filtered uh, Mm -hmm. version of beauty, you've got the skin lightened, eyes lightened, full makeup, you know. And yeah, it does worry me because obviously... It's a platform that a lot of young teenagers are on, uh, yep. including my, my 15-year-old daughter. So I do worry over the kind of content that she may be seeing and the kind of narrative that is being uh, drummed into her. I think it's basically one of those platforms that thankfully you can use to your advantage or your disadvantage, right? And yes, I think thankfully there are enough out there who are fighting the very narrow standards. I think you have a great cause and I really admire how you are using digital media to to educate, to learn, to grow the engagement on the topic. In what ways do you feel that digitalization can further help your cause? So the way that we are fighting as anti-colorism activists, I feel that the way that digitalization can help my cause is is when people basically resonate with what I'm sharing mm-hmm. and then share further. And I, that I feel is extremely, extremely rewarding to people like myself mm-hmm. who are fighting a cause, whether it's colorism or racism or patriarchy or anything else. Because there's one thing just, you know, doing a quick like and moving on. But if you're, it kind of, your message dies there if you know what I mean. I mean, that might be a strong word to use, but if you are sharing further, 
that's when the word spreads, right? It's like back in the days when you had a protest, you know, you would stand on a podium and you would be literally using a loudspeaker. And then as you start talking, you see a crowd streaming in and a you know bigger and bigger audience coming in. Obviously, with the digital world, it's different, but the same, because if people resonate with what you're saying digitally, if they share, that's your crowd digitally streaming in, Yeah, right? Other people are then engaging with your content. And it's the sharing that is, I feel, really, really important if you're doing everything digitally. And there's so many people who are doing things that I, you know, similar sort of things that are like I am doing digitally. So I would really like to share this message with everyone who's listening. Please share, share the content. And I'm not just saying it for myself. I'm sharing it, saying it for anybody whose content you resonate with. If you like their content, please share it because they are working incredibly hard like you are, Adia, with your podcasts and the people that you have on your podcasts and their unique stories. Please share the messages and the voices of people that you resonate with because that's how we can make a difference. Yeah. Shweta, it has been a pleasure. And I think we will continue talking because there's just so much to learn from you and from the conversations. But I want to know what is coming next for you. So what is coming next in your journey? So I'm really, really excited about my book, The Black Rose. I hope that I'll be able to launch it by April. Uh, I have gone down the self-publishing route because it's my personal story. It's so close to my heart that I want to be included in every step of the way. So right now it's with an editor for the second round of editing. Then I will have another pair of eyes look at it with the third round of editing. Then a fourth pair of eyes for proofreading. And then finally have it typeset. And hopefully it'll be out by April, I would say. I'm working with a cover designer right now. And so that's actually really exciting and fun as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is the next step, the, the book to be out hopefully soon. And, you know, I've done the best that I can uh, sharing my journey and my story very, very honestly, confessing to my own wrongdoings, putting my hand up and, you know, saying, yes, I'm one of those people who succumbed to the creams and used it for decades. And this is my journey. And so I just really hope that it resonates with people. And, and you know what, it makes me feel sad to say this when people message me and say, Things like, oh, I'm really, you know, I'm really glad that you're writing this or sharing this and because I've been through this. My first response to them is, I'm, I'm sorry that it's resonated with you. Not I'm glad it's resonated with you. Because, I mean, who wants to talk about colorism, right? It's, it's a sad thing to talk about. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do hope that I can make a change in people's mindsets and just change that narrative. Yeah. I love reading memoirs and I really can't wait to read yours. I think it will be a very fascinating story to read. And knowing you and the conversations, I think I only know a bit about all of the personal experiences, but I'm really excited for your book and really waiting for it to be out. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adia. Really, really appreciate it. And fingers crossed you enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. So Shweta, thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. It was great having you on the show today. I really, really enjoyed the conversation and I can only wish you all the best for the next steps to come. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adi. I really appreciate you taking the time out to do this with me and inviting me onto your podcast. And 
Thank you to all the listeners who tuned into the conversation. If you are passionate about eradicating colorism, check out the Black Rose Way. And, uh, you know, Ali and I, we've obviously talked a lot about it right now, but there's so much more to talk about when it comes to colorism. And we've shared our experiences. And yeah, it's something that you can have a conversation on forever. So thank you. Thank you again. It's been a pleasure, Shweta. So that is it for today's episode of the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast. Stay tuned for the launch of season two of the DD Podcast coming soon in 2022. There will be a lot of unfiltered conversations, a lot of discussions on diversity and digitalization topics, and many, many insights on how you can personally contribute towards making the world more digital and diverse today. To stay updated on what's coming, subscribe to the channel on Instagram at the.dd.podcast. And if you would like to know more about microaggressions faced by diverse groups of people, follow the hashtag microaggressionexplainedbydd. All the links and the mentions in this episode can be found in the show notes. I wish you a great start into the new year. Till next time. 